Part One, Chapter Six of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part One, Chapter Six: No Man's Land. As soon as he was dressed and shaved, the doctor went down to his ship and met the skimmer. I am terribly sorry, Speedy," said he, "to hear what a lot of trouble I have been giving you birds by my delay here. But I really feel that the business of the post office ought to be attended to, you know. It's in a shocking state, honestly it is. I know," said Speedy, "and if we could, we would have nested right here in this country to oblige you and not bothered about going to England this year. It wouldn't have mattered terribly much to miss one summer in the north. But you see, we swallows can't nest very well in trees. We like houses and barns and buildings to nest in. Couldn't you use the houses of Fantipo? Asked the doctor. Not very well," said Speedy. "They're so small and noisy, with the native children playing around them all day. The eggs and young ones wouldn't be safe for a minute. And then they're not built right for us. Mostly made of grass, the roofs sloping wrong, the eaves too near the ground, and all that. What we like are solid English buildings where the people don't shriek and hoop and play drums all day. Quiet buildings like old barns and stables, where if people come at all, they come in proper, dignified manner, arriving and leaving at regular hours. We like people, you understand, in their right place. But nesting mother birds must have quiet. Hmm. I see," said the doctor. Of course, myself, I rather enjoy the jolliness of these fantipos, but I can quite see your point. By the way, how would my old ship do? This ought to be quite enough for you here. There's nobody living on it now, and look—it has heaps of cracks and holes and corners in it where you could build your nests. What do you think? That would be splendid," said Speedy. If you think you won't be needing the boat for some weeks, of course it would never do. After we had the nests built and the eggs laid, you were to pull up the anchor and sail away. The young ones would get seasick. No, of course not," said the doctor. "But there will be no fear of my leaving for some time yet. You can have the whole ship to yourselves, and nobody will disturb you." "All right," said Speedy. "Then I'll tell the swallows to get on with the nest building right away. But of course we'll go on to England with you when you are ready to show you the way." And also to teach the young birds how to get there too. You see, each year new birds make their first trip back from England to Africa with us grown ones. They have to make the first journey under our guidance. Very good," said the doctor. Then that settles that. Now I must get back to the post office. The ship is yours. As soon as the nesting is over, come and let me know because I have a very special idea I want to tell you about. So the doctor's boat was now turned into a nesting ship for the swallows. Calmly she stood at anchor in the quiet waters of Fantipo Harbor, where thousands and thousands of swallows built their nests in her rigging, in her ventilators, in her portholes, and in every crack and corner of her. No one went near her, and the swallows had her all to themselves. And they agreed afterward that they found her the. Best place for nesting they had ever used. In a very short time, the ship presented a curious and extraordinary sight, 
with the mud nests stuck all over her and birds flying in thousands round her masts coming and going building homes and feeding young ones and the farmers in england that year said the coming winter would be a hard one because the swallows had done their nesting abroad before they arrived and spent only a few weeks in the autumn in the north and later after the nesting was all over there were more than twice as many birds as there were before of course and you simply couldn't get onto the ship for the tons and tons of mud on her but the parent birds as soon as the young ones were able to fly set their children to work cleaning up the mess and all that mud was taken off and dropped into the harbor piece by piece and the doctor's ship was left in a cleaner state than it had ever been before in its whole life now it happened one day that the doctor came to the post office as usual at nine o'clock in the morning he had to get there at that time because if he didn't the postman didn't start working and outside the post office he found Jip gnawing a bone on the pavement. Something curious about the bone struck the doctor, who was, of course, being a naturalist, quite a specialist in bones. He asked Jip to let him look at it. "'Why, this is extraordinary,' said the doctor, examining the bone with great care. "'I did not know that this class of animals were still to be found in Africa. Where did you get this bone, Jip?' over in no man's land said jip there are lots of bones there and where might no man's land be said john dolittle no man's land is that round island just outside the harbor said jip you know the one that looks like a plum pudding oh yes said the doctor i know the island you mean it's only a short distance from the mainland but i haven't heard that that was the name of it Hmm. If you'll lend me this bone a while, Jip, I think I'll go and see the king about it. So, taking the bone, John Doolittle went off to call on King Coco, and Jip asked if he might come along. They found the king sitting at the palace door sucking a lollipop, for he, like all the Fantipos, was very fond of sweetmeats. Good morning, Your Majesty, said the doctor. Do you happen to know what kind of animal this bone belongs to? The king examined it, then shook his head. He didn't know much about bones. "'Maybe it's a cowbone,' said he. "'Oh, certainly not,' said John Doolittle. "'No cow ever had a bone like this. That's a jaw, but not a cow's jaw. Listen, Your Majesty, would you mind lending me a canoe and some paddlers? I want to go over to visit No Man's Land.' To the doctor's astonishment, the king choked on his lollipop and nearly fell over his chair backwards. Then he ran inside the palace and shut the door. "'How extraordinary!' said John Doolittle, entirely bewildered. "'What ails the man?' "'Oh, it's some humbug or other,' growled Jip. "'They're a superstitious lot, these natives. Let's go down to the harbor, doctor, and try to hire a canoe to take us.' So they went down to the water's edge and asked several of the canoes men to take them over to no man's land. But every one they asked got dreadfully frightened and refused to talk when the doctor told them where he wanted to go. They wouldn't even let him borrow their canoes to go there by himself. 
At last they found one very old boatman who loved chatting so much that, although he got terribly scared when John Doolittle mentioned No Man's Land, he finally told the doctor the reason for all this extraordinary behavior. "'That island,' said he, "'we don't even mention its name unless we have to, is the land of evil magic. It is called—' The old man whispered it so low the doctor could scarcely hear him. No man's land, because no man lives there. No man ever even goes there. But why? asked the doctor. Dragons live there, said the old boatman, his eyes wide and staring. Enormous horned dragons that spit fire and eat men. If you value your life, never go near that dreadful island. But how do you know all this? asked the doctor, if nobody has ever been there to see if it's true or not. A thousand years ago, said the old man, when King Kakabuchi ruled over this land, he put his mother-in-law upon that island to live because she talked too much, and he couldn't bear her around the palace. It was arranged that food should be taken to her every week. But the first week that the men went there in canoes, they could find no trace of her. While they were seeking her about the island, a dragon suddenly roared out from the bushes and attacked them. They only just escaped with their lives and got back to Fantipo and told King Kakabuchi. A famous wizard was consulted and he said it must have been the king's mother-in-law herself who had been changed into a dragon by some magic spell. Since then she has had many children, and the island is peopled with dragons whose food is men. Whenever a canoe approaches, the dragons come down to the shores, breathing flame and destruction. But for many hundreds of years now no man has set foot upon it. That is why it is called, well, you know. After he had told this story, the old man turned away and busied himself with his canoe, as though he were afraid that the doctor might again ask him to paddle him to the island. Look here, Jip, said John Doolittle. You said you got this bone from no man's land. Did you see any dragons there? No, said Jip. I swam out there just to get cool. It was a hot day yesterday, and then I didn't go far inland on the island. I found many bones on the beach, and as this one smelled good to me, I picked it up and swam back here with it. I was more interested in the bone and the swim than I was in the island, to tell you the truth. It's most extraordinary, murmured the doctor. This legend about the island, it makes me more anxious than ever to go there. That bone interests me too immensely. I've seen only one other like it, and that was in a natural history museum. Do you mind if I keep it, Chip? I'd like to put it in my own museum when I get back to Puddleby. Not at all, said Chip. Look here, Doctor. If we can't raise the canoe, let's you and I swim out to the island. It's not over a mile and a half, and we're both good swimmers. That's not a bad idea, Chip, said the Doctor. We'll go down the shore away till we're opposite the island, then we won't have to swim too far. So off they went. 
and when they had come to the best place on the shore the doctor took off his clothes and tying them up in a bundle he fastened them on his head with the precious high hat on the top of all then he waded into the surf and with jip beside him started swimming for the island now this particular stretch of water they were trying to cross happened to be a bad place for swimming and after about a quarter of an hour jip and the doctor felt themselves being carried out to sea in the grip of a powerful current they tried their hardest to get to the island but without any success let yourself drift doctor panted jip don't waste your strength fighting the current let yourself drift even if we're carried past the island out to sea we can land on the mainland further down the coast where the current isn't so strong but the doctor didn't answer and jip could see from his face that his strength and breath were nearly gone then jip barked his loudest hoping that possibly dab-dab might hear him on the mainland and fly out and bring help but of course they were much too far from the town for anyone to hear turn back jip gasped the doctor don't bother about me i'll be all right turn back and try and make the shore but jip had no intention of turning back and leaving the doctor to drown though he saw no possible chance of rescue presently john dolittle's mouth filled with water and he began to splutter and gurgle and jip was really frightened but just as the doctor's eyes were closing and he seemed too weak to swim another stroke a curious thing happened jip felt something come up under the water right beneath his feet and lift him and the doctor slowly out of the sea like the rising deck of a submarine up and up they were lifted now entirely out of the water and gasping and sprawling side by side they gazed at one another in utter astonishment what is it doctor said jip staring down at the strange thing which had now stopped rising and was carrying them like a ship right across the strong course of the current in the direction of the island i haven't the remotest idea panted john dolittle can it be a whale no because the skin isn't a whale's this is fur he said plucking at the stuff he was sitting on well it's an animal of some kind isn't it said jip but where's its head and he gazed down the long sloping back that stretched in a flat curve in front of them for a good thirty yards its head is under water said the doctor but there's its tail look behind us and turning around jip saw the longest tail that mortal beast ever had thrashing the water and driving them toward the island i know cried jip it's the dragon this is king kakabuchi's mother-in-law we're sitting on well anyway thank goodness she rose in time said the doctor shaking the water out of his ears i was never so near drowning in my life <sighs> i suppose i'd better make myself a little more presentable before she gets her head out of the water and taking down his clothes off his own head the doctor smartened up his high hat and dressed himself while the strange thing that had saved their lives carried them steadily and firmly toward the mysterious island 
End of part one, chapter six.